Man, that is such a good hymn. Such a good hymn. This is what was restored in the in um, the Reformation, is that it is well because of Jesus. Jesus was restored in the Reformation. Jesus, like, it's really not well. We live in a fallen world full of sin. We have so many struggles and problems that are terrible. And because we say it is well doesn't mean that we feel it well. But that's, that's the point, is that it is well. It's an objective truth. It is well because of Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. I'm excited about it. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, it is well. And we praise you for that. And we've all showed up today because we need Jesus. Um, we want to see him more clearly. We want to trust him more. We want to love him more. We want your word. Um, and you've put all these desires in us. And you say that you will give us the desires of our heart. And you will do that because you have given us a new heart. So today, Father, we just simply cry the fact that we need you. And especially during this hour, as we look to your word, help us. Help me as your preacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So flip to Ephesians. You're probably already there. Um, I don't necessarily have much of a strenuous outline, but we're just going to walk through um, verses 3 through 14 together. And to be clear, um, my points are basically the these spiritual blessings that, that we've been given in Christ. So that if you if you're writing this down, that's that's what it'll be. These spiritual blessings will be points, if you will. Um, but we're gonna walk through this together. Um, and as we look at the book of Ephesians, as Josh prayed, he basically prayed the book of Ephesians. It's it's gospel. It it gives us life and then says, go live this life, right? As you've been empowered to live this life. Um, and so most of Paul's letters, we know they're, they're like gospel and then life, if you will. Like, there's so many words you could put as far as that, but it's always two parts. It's always gospel and it's always life. And um, before we read this, let's make the, the point is that um, if the second come first, and that's all we have, if all we, has was, if all we had was live this way, we would have no hope. We need the first part. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ because we don't live in unity, because we don't walk in love towards our neighbor, because we don't love our wives or our neighbors as ourselves, because we're full of selfishness. Sorry, guys. I think it's my fault I didn't turn the mic on. So uh, we're full of mistakes. We need Jesus. Uh, so anyway. The law only crushes us. Live this way only crushes us without Jesus, who not only saves us, who not, who's not only the, the avenue of forgiveness, but the power to live and walk the way God has created us to. So let's look at verse 3. Obviously, um, we'll just start in verse 1 on the introduction. So Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have, sorry guys, I lost my place. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he, sh- which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Praise be to God for his word. It's important to know that these 11 verses in the Greek is one sentence. It is one sentence. So in a way, it's like Paul opens up and he is like dead sprint praising God in one sentence. Like, look at all that's just packed into this one sentence of of him praising God. And so as we look at this, remember that overarching, what we see is that salvation began in the mind of God before the beginning of time. Then it was accomplished by the Son. In time and space, it really happened. And then the final piece of this puzzle is that the Holy Spirit applied these spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. So let's just begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if you were to like a person who marked in your Bible and you used a pencil, this is what I did. Literally, it took spiritual blessings and I just drew a line to all these things because this is what Paul begins to label. Here are the spiritual blessings. Let's look at them together. The first one is verse 4, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Simply election. God elected people to be his own, to be his own. That, that's what we see here. So point number one is simply election. This is the first uh, spiritual blessing that we talk about. And just in speaking of the doctrine of election, there's kind of three views on election, not, not views about election, but these are, these are people's takes about election. Either it's not a thing, I don't like it, I don't believe in it, it's not real, simply because it seems evil or something, like that God chooses people or that whatever. It's just that I don't like it, it's not a thing. The second one is people like to think about this foreknowledge, like God looked into time and space and saw the people that would, if they were offered the gospel, say, I want that. And God just just knew that that was how it was going to be. And so history is just operating that way. And the third one is that 
People are sinners and they've earned and deserved hell. And God in his mercy decides that to save some. That's the, that's the third position. Of course, that's where we're at, right? And we see that. But see, the thing about the uh, election, it's not that people, anyone who doesn't really like election, it isn't election that they have the problem with. This is my opinion here. It is the depravity of man that people have a problem with, that we were born in Adam. We were born into condemnation. In Adam, as our representative, we are completely sinful. We have inherited guilt, and we naturally deserve hell. And if God is fair, and if God is just, that is what we get. That is what Scripture teaches. But God in his mercy decides that he's going to place his love, and that he's going to not, not only in Ephesians a little bit later here, it talks about uh, when Paul prays, he says that we would know the inheritance that God has in the saints. So there is an inheritance that God has where he's decided, I will take this sinful people and I will make them holy. I will make them pure. I will make them righteous and they will be with me forever. And God says, I have an inheritance in that. I want to be with my people. But not only that, we have an inheritance that, that we will be with God forever. Grace is what the doctrine of election points to. Mercy, God's glory. Of course, we have all kinds of problems where we're like, well, that's not right. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. Well, like we said earlier, if we went by fairness, we've deserved hell. Praise God, we don't get what we deserve, right? That's simply what election is saying. And notice that these gifts all started in the mind of God. So today we're talking about the mind of God. And there's always going to be this, I don't get it, because you and I are finite. You and I are finite. And, and I don't necessarily feel the need to go through, but Scripture talks about us being dead, being spiritually dead. Paul even makes, um, in, in, this, in this letter, when he starts in chapter 2, he even talks, he, he kind of talks about salvation, redemption, the Christian life from an individual perspective to a corporate perspective, and then like a cosmic perspective in the sense of, of all of creation being united in, in Christ. And when he gets to that individual perspective, he talks about us being dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Absolutely dead. Imagine that we're at a funeral today and there's a dead person right here. And Josh gets up and he says, I mean, all right, uh, dance or um, say I love you or, hey, just, just be your best real quick. I don't care what you do. Just be your best at it. What's going to happen here? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. That is our spiritual condition before God. We're not going to do anything that God looks at and is like, hey, that was pretty good because we are dead. So that is what we're considering here is that, yes, we have a, a free will. Nobody's saying that we don't have free will, but our free will is in a fallen sense. It's corrupted. The only person or people who had a free will that was an actual perfect free will was Adam and Eve. They were the only ones who were, they weren't born into corruption. They were born in the image of God and they had, they weren't born into corruption. And so um, they're the really the only ones with a free will and they chose sin. 
And then we're born into corruption and we have a fallen free will where, yes, we can choose anything we want. But what we will not choose is God because we love our sin. And though we're dead, God looks down and he makes us alive in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. A couple of things about the doctrine of election is that there's many blessings to it. One of those blessings is that it destroys all boasting. And so as we sit here and sing today, we're not singing about how well we've done anything. Or even when we sing the fact that it is well with our soul, it's really not because of us that it's well. Half the time, we have had a terrible week throwing temper tantrums because it hasn't been well with our soul. But the truth is, it is well with our soul in Christ. It destroys boasting. We're God's forever, and he did it. We have nothing to boast about before God, but everything to say thank you for. Second thing about the doctrine of election is that um, it maintains and it boosts our assurance. Because it, de- it didn't depend on us. God didn't see anything that he was enticed by. Justin says this often. He loves us because he loves us. As we even look here, um, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. So what was his motivation in doing all this? Love. God loves you because he loves you. He chose you because he wanted you. Why? I have no idea. See, to me, if, if, if I look at my life three years ago, I mean, I look now and I'm like, wow, God has grown me a lot. But if I even look three years ago, it puts it in my perspective. I'm like, yeah, God, that wasn't a good choice, bro. You know what I mean? Like, why? What's, what's the point? I have, I have nothing to offer. And I have all these mistakes and all these struggles and and everything I do have to offer is covered in self-righteousness, is covered in sinfulness and, and selfishness. And it's like God isn't motivated to do any to choose us by anything we have to offer. But he did it in love. He loves us. He loves us. Praise be to God. The third thing about election is that it promotes evangelism. The whole argument is that it destroys evangelism. If people are, are chosen and there's this thing happen, why do anything? Well, if we take that people are really dead in their sin, but God doesn't have mercy and has, has, has chosen or elected people to save, what is the point of evangelizing? Because they're dead in their sin. They're not going to choose God if they're dead, but we know for all we know, every person on planet Earth right now, God has chosen to save. That is not our business. That is not our mind to know about. What we do know is that God has mercy on people and that Jesus has died for sinners and that he's called us to share this gospel that has power to save. Where forgiveness is offered, where a man repents of his sin and hates it and loves God. A man who once hated God, repents and loves God. That is our story. And God did that in us. That's why we evangelize. Look at your own life. That is why we evangelize. Because you have turned from your sin and you love God. Imperfectly, you're a failure at it, but you're covered in his righteousness and you do love him. In all kinds of fallen ways. But we're covered, we're redeemed. The thing that that all of history is about and that Jesus came to accomplish right here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And the mind of God was that you would be holy and blameless. 
and you are. And we'll talk about that. So the doctrine of election. Election is that first gift. There's a million things we could say and talk about it, but let's move on. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. This is verse 5. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has lavished on us, sorry, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adoption is the second gift. We have been predestined for adoption. Let's talk about this, this word adoption. I'm going to read a couple verses here. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born, born of woman, born under the, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We approach as Hebrew says, we approach the throne of God with confidence. This isn't the type of thing where we go to God in prayer or we walk into his throne room and we hide in the corner. Like, you know, I have a, you know, praise God, I came in here and, and I'm saved. And no, we approach our father boldly. You are his. You are in daddy's arms. You are his child. We are his children. Little Judah back there, he, when he, he doesn't know how to say, I am hungry. He's just crying all the time. And what are they doing? Staying up day and night to take care of that joker. And it's awesome. And it stinks all at the same time. But it's like, that's how we are. God is taking care of us. We are in his arms. And we are as helpless as Judah is in that sense. And he's done it all. He's adopted us. And we look at him and we cry. I mean, whine. Dad, 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 and he provides for us. He keeps us. What do you What do you do with your parents? Well, most times, your children, you're always asking for things. They're the only ones you know that can really give you anything or take you places. Or so that's the same thing. Like we are adopted. God had predestined that we would call him dad, dad, and I don't mean that irreverently. I mean that seriously. He's daddy. And he knows all those rough days when you done the thing again that you didn't want to do or acted ways to your coworkers that you said, man, I got to stop acting this way or talking the way or walking the way you walk, talk, whatever it is. It's like when you do it again, Dada, we run to Dada for refuge, for peace, for assurance, because he adopted you when you're dead and his love is on you forever. Adoption is a sweet, sweet thing to even think about from a human perspective. And, there, you know, I, I mean, I haven't experienced it, but even when I look at Josh Miller, for example, and 
the way he looks at Penny and Eric. It's awesome. Did not know this kid, but you look at him and say, I'm going to be mom and dad to this, to this guy. I'm going to love him forever. We didn't, we didn't birth him. Really have no ties to him, but we're going to love him. We're going to take care of him. We're going to make sure he succeeds. We're going to give him what he needs. No matter what. You know, adoption is a beautiful thing. And you are an adopted child of God. That is what you are in Christ. We're going to get to that piece. Of course, like all of these are gifts that happen, that find their fulfillment in, and that become ours in Christ. So let's talk about that. Moving to the next gift. So we've talked about election. That Before the foundation of the world, we were chosen to be his. And that he predestined us to, to be adopted. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We'll read the next part later. So redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. So redemption. Part of this word redemption really has this, this meaning of ransom or to buy, to buy from, to buy back. All those kind of, kind of um, yeah, correlations. And so let's think about it. What did Jesus, we know that Jesus' life was a ransom. He says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. As a ransom. What is Jesus buying? Is he, is he buying us back? Well, maybe in a sense that we can talk about it, but what is Jesus buying? It's, in, it's important for us to know that Jesus is paying for something, sure. As we are, in a way, we're trapped to sin, we're trapped to this fall, to the, like, in the fall, we're trapped in Satan's kingdom, but it's not Satan that Jesus is paying this payment to. It's important to realize that. It's not Satan who has us and God's making a deal with Satan and Jesus is the payment. No, 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 no. Jesus is satisfying the wrath of God and he's destroying the work of Satan. He's not paying off Satan. He is destroying Satan. Satan didn't get his money, what he wanted to have us back. Satan's kingdom was ended. He saw his future when Jesus was crucified. The end of the power of sin, the power that sin has on your life, um, the consequence of sin, condemnation, the wrath of God you've deserved. Jesus' life is a ransom for that. He took your penalty. You have deserved the wrath of God. And Jesus, who's made in the likeness of sin, took that for you. He took on your guiltiness. He took it on and he crushed the power of sin, all of sin. Sin no longer condemns you. The sin in your life that earned condemnation has no more power. It has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, we have been redeemed from the power of sin and it's of, for condemnation. Um, yeah, so it's important to know that that. Jesus wasn't a payment to Satan. There wasn't a deal there. Jesus crushed Satan. 
and just thinking about 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but um, with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot. He, you and I, obviously, this is not something we don't know, do not live perfect lives. We're imperfect people. We've deserved the wrath of God and and. Because of sin, we deserve death. And not only death in this life, but eternal death and separation from God forever. But it was always in the plan of God that he would save a people. And how would we save it? Think about it this way. God's plan was that he wanted to die for us. That is what happened. God wanted to die for us and make us his own. And so he did that. He lived the life. He put himself under the stars that he made. He was born of a Virgin Mary. Put on that, the flesh that we live in. And never sinned. When you and I sin daily. And as he kept the law and as he was righteous. The guilt that you deserved was placed on him. And he was crushed for our iniquity. Pierced for our transgression. He took your guilt and he dealt with it. The wrath of God. God took his own wrath, if you will, to make you his own, to make you holy. Because if God's going to be consistent with himself and if God's going to be just, our penalty must be paid. God doesn't just wipe it under the rug. So he dealt with it in Christ Jesus. You, church, are no longer guilty for anything. Not, uh, R.C. Sproul says it like this, it's not that your record doesn't exist anymore. It's just that God doesn't count it against you anymore because the penalty for it has been paid, right? He forgets about it. He forgets about it and he sees the perfection of Christ. That's what he sees when he looks at you, church. You are forgiven your sins. God is no longer mad at you. He's no longer taking tallies of good and bad. Not like he ever was, but sometimes we feel like that. He's no longer taking tally marks of when you mess up and when you do good. You are his adopted child forever. No more tallies. He's not taking score. There is no score. You win in Christ. Jesus won. You're good with God. And he loves you. And he's your father. He cares for you. Look at, I mean, just all these phrases that just kind of modify. God, obviously God, in this this phrase, and I mean, these verses, God is the subject of every verb. But not only that, it's just that all these phrases are modified by Um, to the praise of his glory or in love or according to the riches of his grace. Why did God do this? Because he did it. I don't know. He loves us. He gave himself for us to make us his own. He didn't fail. He did not fail at making us his own and making us holy and forgiving our sin. And speaking of forgiveness, let's keep looking. Um, as we've, we're kind of making our way through these, uh, through these 
heavenly or spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, which is, again, election, adoption, redemption through his blood. And then look at the free, um, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And I, I'm just separating these because I think they're important to talk about separately, um, even though we already have. So the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So the forgiveness of our sins. We just kind of spoke about that. But like, um, as we spoke about that in the guiltiness, the fact is that your sin has, has caused you to earn the wrath of God. But you've been forgiven that. What does it mean to be forgiven? It's simply that though you are a sinner and though you are sinful, God doesn't treat you that way anymore in Christ. You are forgiven. So now you are his perfect, holy, blameless, upright, adopted child. You are that because he made you that and you are his. You are forgiven. I mean, it's just such an awesome thing to think about because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget, as Justin says, on our Tuesday, you know, it's so easy to forget that we are forgiven. That the work that Jesus came to accomplish, he accomplished it. That you are holy and you are righteous. And it's hard to look at how you have treated your coworkers and how selfish you've been with your family and with your wife. Just the things that you thought about that day, the things that you really like, man, at your worst, I will do these things. And you really want those terrible things and I mean, just the list goes on of the horrible things where if that day we displayed all your thoughts on this screen, you would run out of town and never come back. It's hard on those days to feel forgiven or to believe that we're forgiven. And the beauty of the gospel is that it is objective. It is done. So that's why we come here and we hear this over and over and over. Could it, it, it is the only power. It's the only thing that motivates us to, to, like, to love God. It's to remember that he's done it all. You're secure. Even though we're saint and sinner, you are forgiven your sins. God no longer counts them against you. He doesn't see them anymore. Redemption and forgiveness. And then as we move on here, we see in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is the, the fourth one, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. So this is like the other side of redemption. I titled this one, The Mystery of History. That was terrible. But the mystery of history is that this is the point of the universe. This is the point. At one time, all things were united in Christ in the Garden of Eden at the beginning. Obviously, the, fa the fall ruined all of that, but it's happening again. This is what's going to happen. The mystery of God's will is that through the gospel, all things will be united in Christ again. Whether in him or outside of him, everyone will see that he's Lord and be punished forever and get fairness or get mercy. Regardless, they're all going to be united in him. And, and everything's going to be his footstool, right? So this is, this is the mystery revealed. God has revealed his plan. 
You want to know what's going to happen? All things are going to be united in Christ. And here's the beautiful part about that. Even when we look at Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And we like to just apply those to every negative or, or just like, it's just going to work out in this life. It may not work out the way you want it to. It may work out horribly. Honestly, it may work out great. You get to enjoy a lot of blessings. Either way, we're blessed, right? But to know God, to be his adopted children. But you see what I'm saying? Sometimes other people just have horrible lives and others don't. Regardless, though, all things are working for the good. All things are going to be united in Christ. The, what God is doing, it will get done. And everything, you can count on the fact that everything that is happening, God is determining for this purpose. The new heavens and the new earth, all things will be united into him. That is what's happening right now. That is what's happening. And we're a part of that. And he's doing it. We're messing, you know, we're just messy people. And we think, man, we got this thing figured out today. Then tomorrow we're just flat on our face again. And I mean, we are we, it's just we're human, right? But it's just that this is your hope. God is doing it. Your worst day, your best day, God is doing this, accomplishing his purpose. And I like to say that this is the other side of redemption. Not only like the salvific part of that we're good, we're God, we're redeemed from sin, from the power of sin, from the consequence of sin, but we're also redeemed from the evil and we're redeemed from hell and we're redeemed from the fall when he unites it all together. We're going to be with him forever. No more fears, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more fall. And we're going to be together forever forever with Jesus, forever praising God to his glory. Who knows what any of that looks like, but it's going to be good. And God is making sure it's going to happen. That's what he's doing right now. That is the point of history. That is what we can count on. That Jesus is the point. He's going to unite all things in him. And just to reiterate, um, so Martin Lloyd-Jones, I want to make this point. I thought it was super cool. Even though I don't know the Greek, maybe one day I'll learn these kind of things. But in this, um, to the pray, so just follow with me in scripture here as I find it again. To have redemption through his blood, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, he mentioned that there is a word in the Greek that means like again. So it's like he's going to do this again. And so that's what I like um, pointed to when we started this, this point on the mystery of history or the other side of redemption is that he's doing what was again. So it was perfect and united into him. The fall ruined that, but he's making this happen. So as sure as the fall happened, as as sure as the new heavens and the earth is going to happen. It's sure. It's going to happen. We can trust it, even though we hardly ever feel it. So now as we um, look, basically, we've kind of finished 3 through 10. And as we look at 11, it's it's just important to to keep in mind that we can kind of realize and understand um, this section with the Holy Spirit, his person, his work in mind. As we see that redemption 
or salvation started in the mind of God. It became ours and was accomplished in, in the Son, and it is applied and, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's what we see here. And it's crazy to think again that all this is one sentence. So verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise to his glory. So the fifth thing is an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of will. He's pointing again to salvation that we've been predestined to trust Christ, to to Fought like to repent of our sins, to trust in Christ, to by faith receive the merits of Christ. Faith is the vehicle with which everything that Christ has earned becomes ours. And now the point that Paul is just becoming to his praise is that we have this inheritance, that we will be with God forever, right? Is the hope of glory, the hope of glory. That's simply what he's talking about. And as we continue on through there, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, the we he's talking about are Jews. And then look at the next verse, says, in him you also, Gentiles. So, and then later in his book, even as Josh prayed, but later on the book, he talks about how the two become one. The promise, the covenant was first promised to the Jews, right? But we, as some commentaries put it, the, uh, well, just, Theologians put it the wild olive were engrafted into the real olive tree, which is grace. We were never a part of that promise, of course, in all of redemption in the mind of God, yes. But the promise of the Messiah was to uh, the Jews, and we have been engrafted into that. In Christ, we become one. So he's just saying that we who were the first to hope will be to the praise of his glory. And in him, you also, um, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when we could just time out, this wasn't planned, but even thinking about uh, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Who in the world um, who is dead would hear this and believe it and say, this is true. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I'm not good with God. I'm actually sinful and I deserve... The Holy Spirit calls us, right? Um, let's see here. I must, uh, might not have put it, but like no one comes to, to Jesus unless they're drawn by the Father. The Holy Spirit is drawing us to Jesus. And he opens our eyes and opens our ears and opens our hearts that we see our sinfulness. And then we see Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit in our life. As God the Father plans this out from, from the beginning of history. Jesus accomplishes it, and then the Holy Spirit causes us to be affected. It applies all this as we see our sin, and we see Jesus, and we believe the gospel that you had nothing to do with. And then thinking about another quick aside, and thinking about um, redemption, and thinking about election, we can think about this um, federal headship. I know Justin mentions it. Um, or federalism, is where that we were represented in Christ. I mean, we were represented, our first representative, Adam. In Adam, as our representative, death, hell, condemnation. In Christ, guiltless, righteous, holy, God's forever. So as, as easy as it was for you to be, so don't answer this, but how easy was it for you to be born into sin and be condemned? 
How easy was it? Pretty easy. You didn't, you were born. So how easy do you think it is for you to be righteous when you're born again? How easy is it to become righteous? For us, we're given it. We're given the faith to trust Christ. Then moving on, um, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The final, um, the final blessing is the guarantee of our inheritance. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to flip there real quick because I didn't write the reference. I know it's a good one. Um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Count on it that he's doing that. He's doing that. We don't often feel it, but the Spirit is bearing witness that we are children of God. He's, the Holy Spirit in our life is doing a lot of things, but one is it's, it's causing us to believe the Scriptures. When we read them and we believe them. Why would we believe this book? 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it is foolishness to the world. So why in the world do we believe? Well, it's the testimony that God has saved us and the Holy Spirit is working in us and has worked in us to cause us to believe God's word, to believe that we are sinners, to believe that we need Jesus, and now to believe that we have Jesus. The other, the other piece is that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. God put a down payment on us, if that's the case. It's like going to, to buy a car, you put it down, you're going to pay the rest of it. God is coming to finish that thing. He's put his Holy Spirit in us, and it's coming to an end. We're going to be with him forever, guaranteed. Down payment. He's coming back to get us. He's already put his stamp on us. We're his, and when all of history comes to that climax, we're going to be there with him. We're going to be holy, and we're going to be celebrating. It's going to be awesome. And the last thing the Holy Spirit does is he holds us fast. He holds us to Christ. He holds us. He continue whether we feel it or not. He will hold us fast. That old saying, um, if saved, always saved, it's true. When you're God's, you're God's. When you're God's, you're God's. He's keeping you. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't do anything to keep it. God wants you and he'll keep you. And all of history is coming to this climax where he's going to get his inheritance which is presenting us holy and blameless before God. And here's just a few last thoughts because um, just remember that this was a full throttle, like praise statement. This is one sentence where, I mean, I wish I could just read it fast, but I'd fumble over my words too much. Like there is so much packed in that I haven't hardly said anything today. But it's like, look at God. That's what we're doing. Look at God. Look at what God did. And so Paul is praising him, and then he goes into pray. You know what I think is awesome is that Paul, Paul says all this, right, just in one sentence, just praise God. And then he prays that they might know him more. He prays that, he would, that, they would open, that God would open up the eyes of their heart, that they would see Jesus, that they would be given a spirit of revelation and of wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that we would understand that God has an inheritance in us, in the saints. And that we would know what is the power that he's placed in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then he goes on to talk about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But he's made us alive. And how he's made us, all the saints, all of the church, one in Christ. Then he talks about the mystery of how the gospel is revealed. And, and he prays again for spiritual strength. That we would be strengthened in our inner man. For what? To be filled with the fullness of God, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. 
It's like that, the, um, I don't know the reference in Revelation, but when Jesus is knocking on the door, we all know that he's talking to the church, right? So he's telling the church, I will literally come into your heart and I will unpack my bags and I will live in your hearts. I will dwell there. That's what Paul is praying. So he's, he's praising God for what he's done and he's praising that we would be even more filled with him, with God. And then he goes on. Therefore, brothers, I urge you to walk in a worthy manner of your, of your calling. He says a lot of things about being united as the body of Christ and walking in love. Children, husbands, wives, parents. It's like this. God, God did all of this that we just talked about today that I barely scratched the surface on. God did all of that. You're his forever. You're good. There's so many good gifts that are ours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, hey, walk in love. Love one another. Walk in unity, seek peace, all these kind of things. And it's not in a way of like, because if you don't, it's not that. It's like God has saved us. Maybe what he's telling us is good for us. Maybe the God who elected us to be with him forever is probably wise when he says, hey, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Maybe we should trust him and be thankful that we have the spirit of God to do these things totally imperfectly. Half the time, all we see is the ways we do wrong, but still pursue it because it's good and you're secure. We just spent way too much time, not really, but I just spent a long time talking about what God did, that you are secure with him. And then Paul says, so or the scriptures say, so go like, don't be a jerk to your wife and your family. And love your neighbor. Maybe that's good for us. Maybe God knows what he's talking about when he directs us to live a certain way. But it's from a place of security, which is why we spent most of our time talking about that. Because we all know, stop being jerks to our wives. Just try not to be selfish. Let's seek the good of other people. It's all good. You're secure in Jesus Christ. You're his forever. And the way we live this life, final statement, the way we live this life is we look at what we have in Christ. By faith, we are good with God. And we seek to do good to our neighbor and love God. And we often see our sin, and so we run back to Christ and Him crucified. And we seek to do good, and we run back to Christ and Him crucified until history is accomplished. And we're with God forever. And there's no more looking at Christ and him crucified because we'll all be resurrected with him in glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is so much, so much to be said about what you have done. There's so much more that could be said. But Lord, today on the Lord's Day, we praise you for making us your children. We praise you that from the beginning of time, you had this in mind. That Jesus would accomplish our salvation, redeem us. That your spirit would apply this to us. Would hold us fast, cause us to keep trusting Christ. And ultimately that you are going to, again, unite all things in him. And whether you take from us the very things that we love in this life, our families, 
whether you take from us everything we actually care about in this life and you cause us to suffer for your name, you will cause us to keep trusting your son, Jesus. You will sustain our faith in Jesus. And we often, um, we often don't feel that. We know that there's a lot of joy in the fact that you are doing it. You are sustaining our faith, but we often don't feel that joy. So today, whether we feel it or we don't feel this joy, we praise you because you are doing it. And you're faithful to your word. You're going to keep us. You're going to hold us fast. And God, we praise you for making us your children. We praise you that we get to eat this bread and drink um, this wine, this juice. We get to participate in Jesus' body and his blood. As we remember him crucified for our sin. As we remember that we're forgiven and that we're good with you. And that we say, Daddy, we need you. Hold us fast this week. Cause us to trust you more this week. Help us to love each other better this week. In Jesus' name.